Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Irreverent, entertaining, cool. You're listening to LA Talk Radio. Welcome to All Things Therapy. I'm your host, Lisa Tahir. Hello to those of you that are watching on Facebook Live, and greetings to those of you who are listening through iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio. Thank you for subscribing. Please continue to subscribe and share this show and rate it also. It helps me a lot if you rate my show. Please reach out to me. I would love to work with you as your therapist. I'm a licensed clinical social worker and intuitive psychotherapist, reach me at nolatherapy.com, the abbreviation for New Orleans Los Angeles Therapy, spelled N-O-L-A, therapy.com. There you can link up to listen to archived episodes of this show. There's a tab to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play. There's an announcement there about a book I have coming out in 2019. I'm really excited to release work that I have been producing over the last two years plus on Chiron, healing our core wounds through empathy and self-forgiveness. And if you go to nolatherapy.com, there's a thing where you can click and register your email so I can send out just kind of announcements about when the book will be available to help you learn to heal some of your own wounds through self-forgiveness and empathy. And Audible is one of my sponsors. They offer you a free audiobook download of your choice if you go to audibletrial.com forward slash all things therapy. And if you want to support my work, I have a crowdfunding campaign through Patreon. They're a cool platform that supports podcasters like me, artists, authors. If you go to patreon.com forward slash all things therapy, that's my page, you just might want to check it out because lots of really brilliant creative people have pages there and you can support us for as little as a dollar a month and it really helps out. So thank you for considering that. I'm trying to think. I think that's all of the announcements. I'm really excited to bring my guest on in just a few moments. Here is her book. It's called Braided. A Journey of a Thousand Halas. And I actually asked her publicist to move our show up from when we were originally scheduled because I really love this book. I really found it to be unique. And and Dr. Beth Riccinati is the author. She is an author and internal medicine physician. And throughout her medical school studies, having a child and being so incredibly busy, she lost track and lost sight of just being in the present moment, just moving from event to event, responsibility to responsibility. And she's going to share with us today about how she started baking challah, Jewish bread, 
every Friday for the last 10 years, with very few exceptions, and how this baking self-care practice has brought mindfulness and presence and peace into her life. And we're going to talk about some of the Jewish traditions surrounding challah and the metaphors of food, food is medicine, and just some of the things that she believes and talks about in her book. This book was just released September 18th. So without further introduction, welcome, Beth. How are you? Hi, I'm great. Thank you so much for having me on your show today. You're welcome. Thank you for being with us. Absolutely. I'm so excited to talk all things challah. I am. So I'm curious as to, congratulations, first of all, on your book being released just last week. It's very exciting. Thank you. It is. It is exciting. Thank you. So where do you want to start with with our our discussion on challah and how you came to bake for self-care and then bake with with women and, and broaden your sense of community and connectedness? Absolutely. Let me give you a little backstory Please. if I can. Imagine yeah. about 10 years ago, I was completely stressed out and I was trying to be a physician and a mom. Our kids were young. I was trying to be a wife and a friend and a daughter and you know, it's really hard to do all those things well at the same time. And I wasn't doing them well at the same time. And it was about this time of year. It's, it's, we just had the Jewish New Year. And a friend of mine suggested that I try and bake bread. And if you knew me then, that was a laughable suggestion <laughs> because I didn't bake anything, <laughs> let alone anything from scratch. Um, okay, I can do box brownies, you know, the, the ones you add an egg and some oil, but I didn't bake. But somehow, I don't know, it's, she, she convinced me, and I did it. And it was the most incredible thing to make bread from scratch. And then our, that afternoon, I, you know, I opened the oven door, and there were these two beautiful braided, well, they were lopsided the first time, or <laughs> probably for a long time. But, but there they were, these, these two cool loaves of bread that I had made myself, and our whole house smelled. It became like a home. That aroma, I don't know if you've ever baked bread, but it's the coolest thing. And I was hooked. I did it again and again. And 10 years later, here we are. And I'm still baking. I love it. So I noticed you you talking about baking bread, turning your house into a home and your family taking notice. How has this affected your family and this notion of, of a house's home? Oh, it's been fantastic. From the sublime to the ridiculous. So just imagine you come home at the end of the day every fr- on Fridays and the house really does smell. It's fantastic. It smells like homemade fresh bread. It's really wonderful. Yum. So just in, in the just sort of literal sense, it's fun to come home on Fridays because the house smells really great. But in a more, um, in, a, in a sort of higher level, if you will, it's been a wonderful way to bring our family together. Mm. We have Friday night dinner almost every Friday, often with friends, um, usually the kids' friends. And it's become a thing everybody knows i have i make challah and and it's they're like lemmings they just show up and it's wonderful it's really really great in this busy crazy fast-paced life of ours to to have a a touch point like that has been great yeah you know this is where i'm thinking beth for you to help us with some jewish tradition the jewish new year is rosh hashanah is that correct exactly that is correct and we just celebrated Rosh Hashanah about two weeks ago, and then about a week ago, we celebrated Yom Kippur, and those are the two holidays that we call the high holidays. They're the two most important holidays of the year, 
And actually, the challah that I make then is a little bit different than the challah that I make the rest of the year. How so? The challah that I make yeah. during the new year is round. Uh-huh. And the challah that I make during the year, I make the braids, the, what you typically see when you go to, to the bakery to buy challah, the, the typical I three-stranded or six-stranded braids. But the round challah is really great at the new year because it symbolizes sort of continuity mm. and the circle of life and... Um, it's really fun to incorporate that. Oh, that's beautiful. I didn't realize that. Yeah. I also do it with apples and honey at the New Year. It's very, it's, it's uh, tradition to have apples and honey for a sweet New Year. So if I'm really good, I bake it in the hala. And mm. sometimes I, I just have a honey pot on the table and we dip the hala in the honey. You know, I, I was reading that today as I was finishing your book about uh, you'll dip in honey and then sometime dip in salt. And I wondered if you could talk about the significance of that. I love just the metaphor and, and tradition of Judaism. Absolutely. So, so Hala is definitely that there. There's some some uh, history and backstory, if you will. And um, when I make the Hala, I take a little piece off after the dough has risen before I braid it and bake it. And I say a little prayer, mm-hmm. and then I throw that little piece away. And that's to symbolize the offering that long ago in our, we would have made at the temple um, as, a, as an offering, if you will. Mm-hmm. And then there's also, and that's where the salt comes in. So I'm sort of going full circle back to the salt. So we have salt on the table as well to sort of symbolize as part of the offering. So normally we have salt on the table during the year, but at, at the at the holidays, at the high holidays, we put honey out on the table. Okay. And we dip the challah in honey for, for a sweet new year, which is great. So did you incorporate this these type of Jewish traditions in your household before you were baking challah every Friday? Not to this extent, no. In fact, actually, I grew up really, really reform, um, which, so there are different denominations of being Jewish. Mm -hmm. And um, when I grew up, we actually also celebrated Christmas. And we had challah occasionally. It was always store-bought. And I didn't know a lot of the history of any of this. Um, But as I started making challah and learning more about it, and my husband's family had already incorporated many of these um, traditions as well, it was really great to start to bring them in and include them. And now I just second nature. In fact, if I don't incorporate them, I feel like something's missing. When I bet they do as well. Would feel like something's so. missing without what you what you've started ten years ago and and have made a tradition in your own home. I think yeah, I think you're absolutely right. It's really been been great. It's it's almost like behavioral modification. And when people mm-hmm. ask me, well, how do you still do this ten years later? Well, it's, it's like if you change any behavior, and you do it enough then you keep doing it because you it's a learned behavior and i can't imagine now not making challah and i often make it when we travel if i have access to a kitchen because it's really just part of my friday ritual okay that's cool beth that even traveling that you would bake challah wow yeah (laughs) wow i usually bring the yeast i can find everything else pretty pretty easily but i often will bring yeast if i'm not sure if they'll have it but yeah it's fun it's I refer with family when we try, like when we go home for Thanksgiving, I'll make challah because it's just part of what I do and everyone around me wants it. So it's a great, it's a great win-win. So how did you think to write a book about this? Well, about five years ago, 
I realized that I was, in fact, on this journey. It had been about five years, and I realized I was rearranging my life to do this, and I wanted to share it and share some of the lessons that I was learning and the realizations that I was I was coming to. I had started to make hollow with other women at the time. Um, friends had started to ask me if they could learn how, or friends of our kids, uh, the, the moms of our kids' parents, uh, I'm not saying that right, the the moms of our kids' friends. There yes, we go. Got it. So I started making holla with all kinds of people, and I realized that it would be great to put this into a book. And so I started to write it all down because part of what I was realizing was this had become a meaningful ritual to me, mm-hmm. and it was one that was grounded in, in time and space. And every Friday I was making this special bread, and I was finding time to be mindful and be present. And since I was seeing the benefit of it, I wanted to share that with others. You know, I really felt the um, in your book and kind of the early part of your book where you set the stage around being in medical school and then getting pregnant and choosing your classes. You wanted to get kind of the heavy and hard classes and rotations out of the way. So you scheduled that first thinking you'd be pregnant at the end when it was lighter and it happened opposite that you became pregnant in the yep. middle of this really intense was it a residency? Yes, it was my last year of residency. It was crazy. crazy. I knew that I wanted to, we wanted to start a family, and I thought it would make such sense if I uh, had a heavier schedule up front. And then when I, assuming that I could, in fact, you know, get pregnant and we could have kids when we were hoping to, that. I could then not disrupt the apple cart, so to speak, because I didn't want to let any of my other co-residents off. I didn't, I didn't want to be out on a really difficult rotation and have to have somebody cover for me. Um, but I got pregnant right away <laughs> and sick. I was, I, oh. I, and so it was, it was a tough beginning to the end of my residency. So I think even that example, I think that even exemplifies, Beth, that despite your best planning, despite our best planning that the unexpected can happen and how you rose to oh, meet yeah. that occasion. And then later in you, your book, when you talk about uh, the bread rising, you know, that is metaphor. Like how do we rise into being our best selves at, at whatever might present unexpectedly? Yes. I have, I have found that in baking the bread, I've had to learn and relearn so many um, important lessons like that and having patience. We have to wait for the for the yeast to bubble in the beginning. And then you have to wait for the dough to rise. You have to be patient. And some weeks I add more flour and some weeks I add less flour and that's okay too. Mm-hmm. It, I, you don't have to be so rigid. I mean, there's just through every step of the recipe, there's a lesson. And I need to be reminded of that. So it's great that every week I have an opportunity to do it all over again. Yes. So being a physician and baking challah, how has this affected the practice you have with your patients and the way you treat them systemically, being an internal medicine physician? I have become obsessed with food as medicine. I think that what we eat, the quality of the food that we eat, really affects our overall health. It helps to, um, it can help prevent disease, it can help to treat disease. I'm much more aware of the the food that we eat in our house. I think about that in terms of the ingredients 
for the challah. It's the same ingredients that I used 10 years ago, but the quality of the ingredients is different now. Mm. And I think about that when I talk with my patients and, and we talk about the foods that they're eating or the diseases that they may have that could be affected um, positively or negatively by diet. I think it's really important. Yes. And you talk in your book, for our listeners, I really liked in the sections, I think it's 10 steps that you talk about in, in baking challah from the preparation, mise en place, like having your ingredients out and organized yeah. as a metaphor for just being prepared for life, being prepared for our day. And yep. and how, you know, I thought it was interesting because you, you bake challah with white flour and just you talk some about being a doctor and people questioning, well, isn't white flour bad for you? And can you talk to our listeners some about that, like the balance? Because I, I like how you articulate it in the book about just yeah, having balance. Absolutely. Um, I think one of my favorite quotations is, perfect is the enemy of the good. Mm. And I was trying to be perfect, and I was even trying to be perfect in making the challah. And so I thought initially, oh, I can't use white flour. I mean, God forbid, I'm a doctor. I, I, I know better, right? We're supposed to use whole wheat. And, and so I tried, I took yeah. the same recipe because I liked the recipe and I tried to substitute whole wheat flour and it was really bad. So then I thought, okay, well, I'll, I'll just use maybe half and half. Like I, I tried to play with the recipe a mm -hmm. lot and it didn't work. It just didn't work. And I finally realized that, okay, perfect is the enemy of the good. I make hollow once a week. Mm. We, I use white flour once a week and I eat a couple slices in the scheme of events. It's okay. And it's okay for my kids to see that, and it's okay for me to see that. It's been a really good reminder mm -hmm. not to to sort of lose the message and trying to be so perfect all the time. You know, and, and I think, Beth, as you're talking, I'm just kind of feeling that I think this is one of the things that, that people get um, inhibit their health and well-being is that this expectation that one has to be perfect diet perfectly be so regulated with what you're eating what you're not eating and it's not sustainable so then inevitably people fall off the wagon right eat donuts right. feel bad about themselves put the weight back on because i think in our culture we're not allowing ourselves to have some moderation like there is nothing wrong with challah right. as you talk about once a week you know, white bread, like to let your body have what I think it, it craves in a portion that's healthy so that you, you know, your body knows it's coming. Like your body knows I'm going to have this next week. So it's kind of like you're able to hold on and not binge on other foods that might be unhealthy. Like, what, what do you think about that? Oh, I think you bring up such an interesting point. Absolutely. I, I think we, we, Many of us, I think, do try and hold ourselves to these, these unrealistic standards about what we're going to eat. And then and it, you're right, because it's not sustainable. Mm -hmm. But if you have a piece of challah on a Friday night, it, it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's okay. It is. I mean, I've done the same thing in my life, thinking I need to, you know, eat so restrictively and, and you know, it's high protein and low carb. And then, like, it just becomes so stressful because you set up. For yourself, I think this perfectionistic pursuit that just isn't, I think it's not healthy. It sets up a lot of judgment, self-judgment, self-criticism, and I think we become unhappy if we don't allow ourselves some just really delicious foods on occasion. Yeah, I think, I think you're right. We, we have to um, manage expectations. 
Mm-hmm. So I like to, where you it's talk about, way. I'm sorry, you first, and then I'll say. Oh, no, you, I, <laughs> I, I was just going to say that, you know, and, and this is you know, making the bread and using the ingredients that I do is a great reminder about how I have to manage expectations. Yes. And I, I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. You know, something really clever that I, I saw today finishing your book is you talk about in working with your patients, like not only prescribing it's a pharmacy as we think of it, P-H-A-R-M-A-C-Y, but farm a C F A R M A C Y. How did you come up with that? It's so clever. Um, I, you know, I've seen other people talk about food that way as well. And um, I think that more and more I'm seeing people um, and, and physicians um, really embrace this idea, how powerful food can be as, as medicine and um, whether it's spices and things like turmeric, um, mm-hmm. I could rhapsodize about for a while. Um, but I, I think it's really um, much more accepted now, too. And, and we know so much more. I mean, when I went to med school, we I maybe had an hour of nutrition lecture. I mean, it was, it, we got nothing. Yeah. But now there's so much more, and it's fantastic. You know, and, and you educate people in your book as well about how to even walk a grocery store. Can you talk to us about that? Yes. Um, so... I had to learn how to walk a grocery store. I never actually thought about it, quite frankly. And when I was at the Cleveland Clinic before we moved to L.A., and I was um, I was medical director for a program called Lifestyle uh, 180, and it was a lifestyle modification program to treat chronic disease through nutrition, exercise, and stress management. And we had a dietitian who taught me how to walk a grocery store. And Literally, we walked into the store, <laughs> into our local grocery store, and she explained to me how I should shop the perimeter mm-hmm. and very rarely, for example, shop in the aisles because that's where all the processed and pack- the processed foods, the packaged, all the crackers and the cookies and the cereal and all the things that really are not what we should be eating. But that the real food, the, he- the fruits and the vegetables and the protein you know, and, the, and the meats and the fish and, are on the perimeter. Mm-hmm. or at least at, at this store, the, the way it was set up. And it, it was so instructive and really made me um, sort of rethink how, how I actually grocery shop. Yes. And it was something to learn. Yeah. You know, I never thought of it consciously very, back very, until reading this in your book. And then I've noticed as I've gone into grocery stores in the last week that, yes, around the perimeter are all the fresh fish yeah. and meat and vegetables and fruit. Yeah. And in the center is all the junk food and toilet paper. So I'm like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. Like, yeah. Every grocery store is laid out in this way. It's remarkable. And I used to walk up and down all the aisles. Now, on yes. the flip side, sure, it's great. Walk up and down all the aisles and you'll get your steps for the day. And that's great. Right. But don't actually stop and, and, you know, pick things off every shelf. Right. Um, And then, yeah, and you talk about, too, about reading labels for us to really be aware about what we're eating and that it's the first five ingredients that are what the food is primarily made of. Can you talk to us about about that? Absolutely. So it's really helpful actually to not look at the front of a package, but to turn it over and look at the back, i.e. look at the label, um, because that's where you'll get a lot more information. And in particular, when they list ingredients, it's usually the first five are, they're listed by the amount. So the first five have the most 
well, whatever it is in the package, the most of it is in the, the, the first five ingredients. So, for example, if you're looking for sugar, um, if, and if in the first, sometimes, you know, the first, there's, out of those first five ingredients, there might be three different ways that they've incorporated sugar. And you want to know that because maybe that's not then something that, that you're going to purchase. So it's important to understand what's actually in the package. Yes, because there's so many. I started, I used to read labels a while ago, and, and I kind of stopped. And just in this last week, I have since since reading your book and preparing for this show. And it's like, oh, my gosh, all these chemicals. Like, what are these things mm-hmm. yeah. in, in our food? Yeah. Oh, it's crazy. I, Michael Pollan says it so well. In, in one of his books, he talks about how you know, if you don't think your grandmother could understand the label, mm. then maybe you shouldn't either. Like, that's not <laughs> something you should be be buying yeah and and it's so true because you turn some of these packages over and i don't know what what they say yeah Um, we're gonna go to a quick commercial break beth and i'll be right back with you terrific thank you you're welcome indeed listening is the new reading with audible you can listen to an unlimited amount of books at home in your car at the gym anywhere on the go with over 180,000 audiobooks to choose from for you the listener of all things therapy audible is offering you a free audiobook download and a month-long subscription for you to try them out visit audibletrial.com forward slash all things therapy now and enjoy yourself and friends find a purpose in life then you are in the right place and be a part of the crowdfunding campaign of patreon.com forward slash all things therapy with lisa tahir as she initiates a one-on interaction with inspiring authors healing experts and spiritual directors join the league of heroes of this generation by contributing your quota between a dollar up to a hundred dollars per month at patreon.com forward slash all things therapy let's make the world free of suicide poverty depression and in all, make the world a better place for everyone. Welcome back. I am with Dr. Beth Riccinati, author of Braided, A Journey of a Thousand Hollas. So Beth, where do you want to take the show next? What's important for you to present to our listeners? I would really like to talk about how it's important to have a meaningful ritual in one's life. And for me, that's making hala. But maybe for you, that's gardening, or maybe it's ballroom dancing, or whatever. I mean, it it doesn't matter what it is. But I think we all have to, in this sort of crazy, fast-paced world we're living in, have a way to manage our stress and to, to be mindful and to stop. And I hadn't thought of it until this whole hala making journey began for me personally I, I had let that go by the wayside in trying to do everything and and now that I, I have it I want to <laughs> spread the word so to speak and really um, encourage people to to really think about it what are they doing to stop and, and be present even if it's once a week in, in my case mm-hmm. um, it doesn't have to be oh I'm going to meditate every morning for a half an hour although that would be ideal but, but in all seriousness just something to have something in their life. And I, I do think that's one of the greatest takeaways from your book is that you discovered that baking once a week 
in a very consistent way has affected all areas of your life for the better because you you schedule around that. You schedule making hala as the focus of your Friday, and it seems to me like other things fall around it, and that's allowed it to sustain in, in a position of priority in your life. And then the side benefits of the peace that you feel, the present moment awareness of how you go through in the book about the the flour and adding like the the way to add the ingredients and then the yeast and then how you incorporated other women baking with other women and adding a social component to it which is which is really cool oh one of the greatest things i have found is you know in addition to it being a meaningful ritual it's the sense of community Mm -hmm. and this ability to not only build a community but to sustain a community i think it's fantastic that I I think it's really cool that on Fridays when I'm making hala and often now with with other women, some I know, some I don't know, it it depends. Yeah. Um, But we're making it here in L.A. and and people are making it in New York and Chicago and, you know, all over the country. And they're making it in Paris and they're making it in Israel. And it's like it is so cool to me that all around the world, every Friday, and this has been going on for thousands of years, people are making bread. I just it gets me every week. I think it's incredible. Like tapping Um, in. It makes me feel more 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 connected yes and even i feel tapping into that the collective consciousness of hollow baking over thousands of years on fridays wow it's so cool right i had no idea i thought of it like that until you just said it yeah i think that's amazing i think it's just amazing and then for people like like you just said a few moments ago if baking is not your thing to pick something pick an activity and and schedule the time to do that for yourself as a self-care modality. Absolutely. Yeah. And it really doesn't matter what it is. And this actually gets back to what we were talking about earlier before the break about how you know perfect is the enemy of the good. You don't have to wait for that perfect activity. That's not what it's, this is about. Just do something. Have people approach. And then if it's. Go on and then I'll ask you. I'm sorry. No, you first. Oh, no, it's Okay. I was just going to say that, I mean, I, I think it can be, it, it can come either way. Either you might have an activity that that really resonates with you. But also, you know, as in my case, I didn't start out making hollow because it was the perfect modality. I realized well into doing this, oh, right, <laughs> this has become something I'm rearranging my life for. This has meaning. This is, this is special, um, which is why I don't, I don't care what people do. I just care that they do something. Yes. And I was wondering, have people reached out to you to share what it is that they might be implementing in as instead of baking, for example? Have you gotten any feedback like that yet? Yes, I have. I, I, a woman told me she's uh, her her thing is salsa dancing. I love that. Ah. Um, and then I, I know quite a few people who've mentioned gardening, which is another um, those are probably the two most common I've heard personally, but I've certainly read about a lot of a lot of different behaviors. Yeah. It's really as creative as you want to be. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm also curious, Beth, that you're a doctor, you have a family, you bake hala on Fridays, you decided to write this book about it. How how did you even schedule that? How long did it take you for from your idea to this book being out here now in the world? And how did you even position yourself to do that? Um. It has taken five years from start to finish, but the whole time was not writing the book. 
So I, I wrote the book about five years ago, and I wrote it during a, the calendar school year. So I, I started when the kids went to school in, in the end of August, beginning of September, and the goal was to have a finished manuscript and a book proposal when they went on summer break that following spring. So that's, so I worked really hard during that year and I scheduled time to write. I had never done anything like this in my life. And probably some of the best advice that I got was you need to schedule time. Mm-hmm. You actually have to, this isn't going to happen by itself. Like yes. <laughs> you need to li- literally sit down and say, okay, you know, I'm going to write today at this time and it's got to be in the calendar and, and away you go. So I found that to be incredibly helpful. Mm-hmm. So I, I, that's what I did then. And then I had thought that, um, oh, that's great. I'll just write a book and it'll be published and, and, <laughs> and off we'll go. And um, it didn't quite happen like that. Um, so it, it was not picked up right away. And I actually put it away for a couple of years. I was oh, really, um, I was really disappointed. I put so much time and effort into writing the manuscript. I really loved it and believed in it. And didn't know really what to do about that. I didn't want to rewrite it. I didn't want to change it. I, I love how it came out. Um, so I put it away actually for, for a couple of years and then took it back out and decided to have another go. And it was picked up last summer by She Writes Press. Mm-hmm. And the best thing happened. They said to me last summer, the publisher said, um, you know, we accept it. We'd love to publish it. And we're going to publish it next fall, 2018. And I said, great. Okay. And then they came back to me and they said, and, we're, and it's, oh, and I, well, first I said, um, can it be in September? Because they had said it would be either August, September, October, November. Okay. And I was thinking of the Jewish holidays. So I said, could it be in September? And they said, sure. And then they came back to me with the date. And this was so fantastic. Okay. 9 18 18. And in Jewish tradition, 18 mean, in Hebrew means chai or to life. And so I, I had double double 18. I mean, I was off to the races before I started. So I feel like the book has really been blessed. That's awesome. It, it's come out on this great auspicious date and that time is... of year. It came out during the Jewish holidays, which is really cool. Oh, that is a blessing. Oh, wow. Yeah. Right. Yes. I, just, I feel really lucky and, and it's, and it's good. Yeah. It's really good. Yeah. I think there's such merit to what you're saying about scheduling writing time I needed to do the same thing over the last two years in writing my manuscript it I could see how writers a book could take 10 years if you don't actually schedule to sit down and and do it and I I scheduled that time and I made my I put my phone on silent like and it was so hard it was like exercising a new muscle for me to sit my ass down and write (laughs) It's really hard, and sometimes the words were there, and sometimes they weren't. Yeah, but you just have to sit down and do it. And being consistent. If you want it. I mean, if, if that's the goal, I think being yeah, consistent, being much consistent, like right? much like you talk about it, baking challah every Friday. I I was consistent in scheduling this time, even if nothing new was coming out of my brain onto the computer. I could go back and edit, and you know, I always just use that time right. for something related to my book, and it finally finally completed which was like oh (laughs) thank you but then like you said all the other aspects a proposal and then having it pitched and waiting and it's such a a tedious process which I didn't know myself no it's long yeah I had I have such newfound respect for the whole process 
what do your kids think and how does your family feel now now that this book is out and you're stepping into this new role in your life as an author and speaker what is that what is this like for your family oh i think they're really excited um it's much more concrete and real it's great to say you're writing a book but i honestly i in in terms like i had nothing to show for it in the sense that it was on my computer Mm -hmm. for a long time and so uh once they could see the manuscript and then they could see the advanced reader copies and obviously now the actual book, um, it, it's very, very real. And so that's fun. Yes. I think, I think that's very cool. And it's always, it's, it's, it's a great way to, um, to demonstrate you can do something different. Mm-hmm. You know, I was a doctor, I am a doctor and I wrote a book mm-hmm. and I think it's great for the kids to see that there's lots of things you can do in life. Yes. And as a doctor writing a book about baking challah, where you're incorporating teaching about healthy nutrition in in a unique way, that it doesn't have to be, like you said, that perfectionistic kind of, you know, health craze, obsessive driven way. It's it's different. Yeah. I think it's really important to get that message across. Yeah. Um, Because I think a lot of us, are, are um, you know, have a lot of different illnesses or we know people who are sick or um, et cetera. And I'm just being, being reminded to try and incorporate a more uh, moderate approach, I think can go a long way. Mm-hmm. So what do you have planned for, for the near future for listeners that might want to attend a book signing or what are some of the things that you have on the horizon? Well, this Sunday, okay. this Sunday at Diesel Bookstore in Brentwood, I have my book signing, which is very, very exciting. Oh, very cool. Yeah. So, What time is that? Absolutely come to that. It's at 3 p.m. on Sunday afternoon at Diesel, which is an independent bookstore here uh, at the Brentwood Country Mart. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. So... How, how have you divided your time even now, Beth, being a physician and having this book and standing by it? What has that been like for you? Uh, it's going really well, actually. Thank you. I am um, seeing patients uh, one day a week, mm-hmm. and I am also um, doing a lot of small book events and making a lot of holla with a lot of different people. <laughs> and... Uh, having a really good time with it. It's fun to to share something that, that I'm so excited about. Yes. Does the hala always get eaten that that you bake on Fridays? Oh yeah. <laughs> if 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 there are leftovers, which usually there they're not as many as I'd like. But if there are leftovers, uh, it makes hala French toast on a Saturday morning really good. Yum. Good. Um Sometimes it makes it a few more days, but really not usually. Well, and you have that recipe even in your book for our listeners, how to make yeah. Hala French toast. Yeah, absolutely. Our, that's what our kids used to do when, when they were, especially when they were younger. That was their their Saturday morning ritual. Mm-hmm. You know, and you have in here for our listeners, you take the guesswork out of every ingredient down to the brand of flour that you prefer. Can you talk to us some about that, the ingredients and 
how you came upon Absolutely. which ones? Yeah, it's a very simple recipe. It was from a mommy and me class in New York City that my friend had gone to. And uh, the recipe is just five ingredients plus yeast. And originally, I just literally used what the recipe said, i.e. it said oil. I just used the oil I had in our cupboard. It said flour. I used whatever flour we had at at home. I, I, I didn't really think about it. It was just flour, sugar, oil, eggs, salt, and yeast. Mm-hmm. But over time, as I've become more interested in the quality of the food, I have tried to source different ingredients or uh, d- different, different, um, so um, for eggs, for example, yeah. um, I used to just buy, buy whatever kind of egg. And now I'm pretty obsessed with organic eggs and ideally cage-free eggs. And if I really can do it pasture, <laughs> um, I like to get them at the farmer's market. Yes. Um, it was really fun. I did an experiment once where I just bought the cheap whatever eggs from the grocery store and I put those in a glass bowl and then I put the eggs, the beautiful eggs from the farmer's market and the yolk was so different. Absolutely. It was this gorgeous, vibrant sort of saffron gold yolk from the healthier egg, if you will. And and I think about that because that's what we're eating. And yes. I want all those nutrients as opposed to just the you know factory, um, more, more commercialized eggs. So I, I, I did that basically for every ingredient. I really thought about the different, different ingredients. And um, the yeast, for example, that I get, I now buy bulk yeast. A friend of mine turned me on to bulk yeast. I didn't know about that. I thought the only yeast was the yeast at the grocery store that came in the little packets. Yes. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that, by the way, and it works just fine. It's what I did for a long time. Um, but it's super fun. To get. I get this pack, this vacuum seal pack of yeast, and it's, it's amazing how it lasts me a year. It doesn't matter how many hala I make. It's the funniest thing. It just lasts me a year. It's really cool. And then I get another one. Um, and I just love love to sort of scoop out my yeast every week. I don't know. I think it's kind of cool. Yeah, I thought that was um, interesting. So it's fun to... That that yeast lasts um, a year, no matter what. That's quite remarkable. And it's it's a huge package, and I just I keep it in the refrigerator, and I use you know just two and a quarter teaspoons, which is the pa- the size of a packet a week. And it's crazy. Some you know it doesn't matter. I often double the recipe now, and it doesn't, doesn't seem to matter how much I make. It just it just works. Yeah, which is really nice. Which is really nice. Well, I, I mentioned to you before coming live on the air that I have never baked challah. I haven't really baked bread. I would get overwhelmed by all the different kinds of flour and spelt. And But since you make it so user-friendly, right. I am going to bake challah and send you a picture, like you said people do, which I think yes, is really please. cool. <laughs> oh, it's amazing now. I get pictures all the time. It is so much fun. Yeah. It is so great to see what people are doing. Yeah. I me, love that. To me, it seems like the so hardest please, part would be braiding it. Like, that's the part when I think about going through the process, like, that that might be, if I've never done that, that could be a little challenging. Well, the three braided one is pretty straightforward. Okay. And, you know, I mean, I talk about the, the, the different kinds in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, the three braided is just like as if you were going to braid your hair. And, and it's mm-hmm. a, um, that was, that's the one I do most, most weeks. And it's, it's relatively straightforward. It gets complicated when I try and do the six braided, oh, the kind wow. that you see at the bakery, for example, those gorgeous big braided loaves. Yeah, that's hard for me because I have to really stop and concentrate, and and I can stop it up to a point. <laughs> to really be that present is it's hard. 
Yes. And you know, Beth, I meant to mention this to you before we came live. I don't want to forget, so I'm going to put it out here now. I have a dear friend here in Los Angeles with a great podcast called Just Forking Around. It's on food and farming, and she's Jewish, and she would love to interview you. So I'm going to connect y'all so you can go on her show and talk about your book. And she was, I I told her, yeah, I told her last week about interviewing you. She was totally stoked. So she's going to be a great person i think for you to go on her podcast also and talk about your book fantastic yeah i would love that thank you yeah you're welcome so what would you like to leave our leavers uh, leave leave our listeners with and our last bit of time that we have oh i would love to um obviously put a plug in for reading the book but but more importantly just to to take a moment and and um do something for yourself. It was so helpful for me. And I needed to be reminded by my friend to stop and bake bread so long ago. Um, I think we all need to do that. Mm-hmm. And how can people reach you to learn more? Lots of different ways. I have a website, mm-hmm. which is housecallsforwellness.com. I have a page on Facebook, Beth Riccanati author. And I have an Instagram where I post a tip or prescription, if you will, every morning. And that's the same as my website. That's also House Calls for Wellness. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for taking your time out today to be with us. Oh, thank you. I had such a great time. You're welcome. Me too. And and I'll be sending you that holla between now and uh, I'm going to make a date. I'm going to make a commitment between now and oh, good. and the new year to, to do that and send it to you. Fantastic. <laughs> oh, I'm so excited. Me too. Thank you. I look forward to that. Thank you, Beth. Absolutely. Have a great rest of the day. Thanks. I will. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That concludes my show for today with physician and author Beth Riccanati. We discussed her book today, Braided, A Journey of a Thousand Hollas. Find this book on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and her website is housecallsforwellness.com, as well as at Beth Riccanati Author on Facebook. Yes, at Instagram might be the house calls for wellness also. I double check that though. Thank you for being with me today, listening in, watching. Join me next week as I bring you another episode. And again, if you want to get into audiobooks, I love them. Audible is my sponsor. I listen to audiobooks regularly. Get a free download of your choice at audibletrial.com forward slash all things therapy. Bye. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.